0: It's a Where the Road Takes Me special on C103 this evening as we look at the story of British Airways Flight 009 on Thursday, June 24th, 1982. To tell the story, a man who should know, the captain of the flight, Captain Eric Moody. Well, they say that it's rare for an ill wind not to blow some good, and looking at it logically, it was a cheap lesson for the airline industry in the sense that nobody was injured or killed over the Indian Ocean that night. The close encounters that 260 passengers and crew had with death highlighted for the very first time the dangers posed to aircraft by volcanic ash, particularly those flying to Jakarta over the island of Java.
1: There's always residual volcanic ash in the air over Java. You get some marvellous sunsets down over northern Australia and that all because of this volcanic activity. And it's the ring of fire that goes around uh, around Indonesia and up through Japan and uh, the Aleutian chain uh, into Alaska. It's it's quite a big industry now. And in fact, there is even now, I don't think the testing's still going on, uh, a volcanic ash detector which they're trying to get an airborne version of it. but let's be honest, it's a financial penalty having to carry the weight of an instrument like that when they've got stuff on the ground that will do it. 3,000 feet when established December the
0: And so British Airways flight 009 was back on solid ground after an eventful, to say the least flight. The press, of course, had a field day, and the three-flight crew were hailed as heroes. But not everybody, Eric Moody says, was pleased for them.
1: And I think it's summed up by a little happening there. They were on the court just afterwards, and this wife said to my wife that uh, her husband was very disappointed that he hadn't been where I was to get all the attention, or something to that effect. And my wife said, well, perhaps... Eric wouldn't have been disappointed if he hadn't been there either. But the, it's now forty, coming up to forty-one years later, and there's hardly a fortnight goes by I don't get a meet an email from somebody somewhere in the world wanting to know something about this. There's obviously a big interest in it. I mean, I'm not fed up talking about it, even though my daughter said, "Dad, can't you do something else now and let the story change?" But no uh, it was it was a big event and I quite enjoy talking about it. I've never had any problems in talking about it like some people might have done.
0: I have read on many an occasion how a thinking airline captain and first officer, through their experience and skill, saved the lives of their passengers. But they still have to go through the suspicion that their actions or pilot error may have been the cause, when nothing could have been further from the truth. However, you have to consider that part of any investigation in the aftermath of any incident or crash has to look at such an angle. Otherwise, any recommendations to ensure that there isn't a reoccurrence could possibly miss out on a vital part of the investigation. Sometimes this can be pretty rough on those being investigated, and Captain Eric Moody on this occasion felt for his senior first officer and senior flight engineer.
1: And poor old Roger and Barry suffered more than I I didn't suffer. I mean, I got uh, Queen's commendation, as did the poor chap's dead now. The uh, the CSD, he got one as well. But you see, I think that Barry and and uh, Roger should have got something in the line of a, a decoration, if that's what if that's what they're there for. But perhaps I'm confused about it, or I don't know. I'm just disappointed. If it hadn't been for our chairman at the time, Lord King, John King, who was fantastic to me and to my wife about it. They were great, and it's, uh, it leaves a, a nasty taste in one's mouth that uh, people can't be
0: gracious. By now, the story had broken, and the media were in a frenzy. This would mean that back home, family and relatives of the passengers and crew would be worrying about those on the flight. While Captain Eric Moody believed that British Airways would look after the passengers, he took upon himself the job of contacting the relatives of the entire crew to ease their minds and assure them that all were safe.
1: As soon as we got on the ground, I got from all my crew, even the uh, the, the girls and the boys, I got a phone number. And I went into the manager's office in Jakarta, and I picked the phone up and I rang my wife. And I said, look, my love, We've been in a spot of trouble. We're on the ground now in wherever it was in Jakarta. We're all okay, but no doubt there's going to be a big press hoo ha and what's it? But uh, you know, don't be yourself. But if you would be kind, would you please ring each of these numbers? Tell them who you are and say not to worry. Now Roger had just left one wife and was uh, he was living with his girlfriend, I think. So. BA didn't have any contact numbers for him. So that was handy with Roger. And I did it for him and Barry and everybody on the crew got a phone call from my wife telling them what had happened, that we were on the ground in Jakarta safe and not to worry. So that was the first thing I did. And that was the first thing she knew. And she was very good uh, about it all. And in fact, we had living near us, we were living in Camberley, in Surrey then, we had a Qantas pilot to whom, with whom we'd become very friendly He, being as switched on as he was, said to his wife, we're going to get them down here, we'll have a barbie, because she's going to be inundated with the press. She told him the story that we'd been, all the engines had stopped. And they looked after her that night, and I'm sure that a few, uh, well, I know, a few glasses of wine went on, and uh, she felt no pain. But she was then besieged, but she had the story. And you've got to think ahead all the time, I think, and I managed that. And I thought that I looked after the crew fairly well from then on.
0: Eventually, all crew of British Airways Flight 009 flew home and landed at London Heathrow, where there wasn't exactly a hero's welcome awaiting for them.
1: They had a, an inquiry the next day, and quite honestly, the atmosphere was dreadful, until something came through from Farnborough and we were told we'd done a bloody good job, and that was it, the press were in on it, and we, uh, we went our own ways. I had the whole crew, subsequently, the whole crew to my home in Camberley for lunch. We had a really big lunch and, uh, in fact, a load of Aussie journos turned up that had been at Farnborough as well. Uh, and we had a really good lunch day there that I wanted them to know that, and we know how to deal with people. But I'm sorry, I, I am still cynical over it
0: to this day. What sort of reception did you get when you came back to the UK and stepped off the aircraft? The immediate reaction? Well,
1: the immediate reaction was a non-event. And we came in, it was just, oh, well, we'd like to see you in the office tomorrow morning. And that's when all this happened. We we went in the office and the three of us, you know, they missed a big opportunity, in my view. We three are still living. Yeah, myself and Barry. I think I'm the elder of the of the three. I think eldest of the three. I'm 82 next month. And I think Barry's six months younger than me. Roger's way younger. He's only a a sprog. (laughs) I think he's probably now in his... uh, He must be in his 70s. But the CSD, Graham Skinner, he died a couple of years ago. Or a year ago. Yeah, a couple of years ago. Poor chap. Um, Aren't alive. Some of them died earlier. And I've done very well to go on now. Nearly 41 years since it happened. I thought people would stop talking about this by Christmas 1982. And here we are coming up to 41 years later and uh, I'm still getting requests to speak and phone calls. I quite enjoy it.
0: From a very early age, Eric Moody always wanted to be a pilot. Well, I'm not sure if he had the gift of foresight, would he have changed his mind? Somehow, I don't think so.
1: We're now back living very near where I was brought up in southern Hampshire, and my granny had a little. Well, in those days, it was a biggish farm. She had quite a few acres, and in in this farm, there was a, a field with a hill hillock, and I used to go and stand on that. I was the age about the age of three. And I used to watch the dogfights over Southampton docks during the war. And I told my mother at the age of three that I was going to be a pilot. That's where it all started, I think. And my dad, in fact, was very keen on aviation. He wasn't anything to do with it. I mean, he was a, a painter and decorator, actually. But uh, he sort of encouraged that. He used to take me around all these old wartime airfields, around the New Forest, around the South of Hampshire, what, looking at aeroplanes and watching. And I just grew. I wanted to be a pilot. And at the age of three, I wanted to be a fighter pilot. Uh, By the time I was eight, I'd met a lot of my father's friends and acquaintances who worked for the old BOAC, British Overseas Airways Corporation. And uh, I loved some of the stories. They They were all sorts from pilots, radio operators, navigators, and even cabin crew. Uh, They told some wonderful stories about their travels. And I changed my ambition at the age of eight to be a BOAC captain. And I strived at that. And that's what I became.
0: Am I correct in saying that you began your career as a glider pilot, which would come in handy later?
1: Well, I did, I did glide at the age... I learned to glide at the age of 16. i got gliding license at 16. And uh, at the age of 17, I got a thing called an RAF flying scholarship because I went to one of these sort of schools that had a combined cadet force. We had all sections of the forces as cadets. And we used to be able to win these scholarships. And it gave me a sum of money, I think, in those days. I'm talking about in the 1950s. It was £350, which gave you 30 flying hours. I mean, you wouldn't get two hours for £350 if you got one Mm. No, And uh, I got 30 hours and a private pilot's licence. In fact, one of my first instructors was from the Irish Air Corps.
0: Now we're back to where we started. And for those of us who have a fear of flying... I'm not really certain if the programme has increased or decreased our fear, but it might be worth noting what a flight instructor once said to Eric Moody's mother when she questioned him on the safety of her son becoming a pilot.
1: When I learned to fly back in 1958, I got this flying scholarship. I went down the road here to, in, uh, it's now called Southampton Airport, but it was Eastleigh, and it was a grass strip. It had three runways on this grass strip with lots of potholes and things, on because they're not new, you know, potholes, not in muddy grass airfields. And uh, my mother was terrified of me flying, wanted to fly. Only child wanted to fly. And in those days, in 1950s, flying was dangerous. Uh, aeroplanes are basically safe now, but they're still wrongly handled. They're dangerous. Uh, but this, my old, my old mum said to the chief flying instructor at Hampshire Aeroplane Club. She said, "Mr. Bellamy," she said, "I'm very worried about him wanting to fly aeroplanes for a living." And he said, "Missus Moody," he said. What you've got to remember is aeroplanes are safe as houses. It's the buggers that fly them we have got to watch. (laughs) And, you know, I think that's still true. Uh. Aeroplanes are safe treated properly.
0: One of the passengers on that flight, Betty Tootle, wrote a book on the experience entitled All Four Engines Have Failed, the true and triumphant story of BA Flight 009 and the Jakarta incident. Betty later married the passenger who was seated in front of her on the Boeing 747. My sincere appreciation to former BA captain Eric Moody, the captain on that flight, BA Flight 009. Thanks to you for sharing an hour with me. Until Sunday evening next on C103, when another edition of Where the Skies, I mean Where the Road Takes Me, have a good Sunday and a great week. Ensure both are safe. Goodbye for now.